Right. Well, um, it's it's always nice to have a full house, but I know it's not always easy on you guys. But I just want to say thankful, thank uh, thank you, and, and tell you how thankful I am, uh, just for the family coming out and just continuing to love God and seek His face and uh, love the Scriptures. Uh, we really dive in here, you know. We really spent some time in the Scriptures, that's for sure. And um, it's not always easy. I felt like the last time I taught, it's a little bit of a heavy uh, blow um, to the people. Because, man, we're in the book of Ezekiel. And it's not always easy to preach uh, through a book like that. Uh, where just judgment after judgment after judgment is taking place upon nations and peoples. But, hey, the only reason there is good news is because of bad news. That's right. Because we've been saved from it. Because we've been delivered. And it is true. Sometimes we have to reveal the bad in our lives in order that good may come. And sometimes God has to bring or allow hardship to come into a person's life in order for them to see how good things really are. It's true. It's the, the picture that Jesus gave. He said, it's like a woman who bears a child. Yes, in the process of having a child is probably the most painful and agonizing thing she goes through but what as soon as the child is born she's the most happy joyful person in the world but you have to go through the agonizing pain and trauma of having a child to get to the point of having that joy and so too in our lives sometimes the bottom has to fall out huh sometimes discipline has to come down sometimes tragedy has to strike in order for our eyes to be open Hey, the only way a Red Sea can be parted in your life is if the Egyptians come barreling down on you. The only reason and the only way miracles can happen is if, hey, hardship comes. Judgment comes sometimes. Through disobedience. Through just discipline sometimes. As I was talking with a friend online just the other day, we were going back and forth just talking about how the greatest things in our lives that make us are the things that break us, really mess us up. And I even asked, um, I'm sure you, well, many of you know, um, over at uh, the church I serve at, Harvest Christian Fellowship, a pastor died just not too long ago. His name's Pastor Ralph Arthur. And I was talking with his wife uh, as she came into my office over there, and we were chatting away, just talking about great things and talking about Ralph, and and uh, I'm just saying, you know, how did he get to that point, man? This guy just beams Jesus like you can't imagine, okay? I mean, just on another level than other people, all right? He's like a Jesus freak squared, you know, to the second power, okay, if there was one, all right? He's the real deal. And um, I said, how did that happen? And she was telling me just about how the reason why he was changed and transformed was because of a really breaking moment in his life about 15, 20 years prior. And it completely devastated him. I won't go into the details. But it was so heavy that he would open the Bible and have it sitting open in his car. And when he pulled up to a stoplight, he would stop and read a verse just to get him to the next light. Stop again, read another verse just to get him to the next light. 
that's how tragic it was. That's how big of a breaking matter it was in his life. And so too with my mentor, my shepherd, uh, John Corson, as I look into his life, many people say, I want that joy. I want that passion. I want that heart of Jesus. Well, he too suffered great tribulation in his life. First, he had his best friend die, his wife. Uh huh. And then not too many years down the road after that, when you think nothing worse could happen, he loses his daughter. But when a person goes through hard times and is broken, it's great opportunity for fruit to come forth. And that's the only way fruit can come forth is when we are broken. And so we pray the prayer all the time. Lord, break me. Lord, make me. Lord, make me patient. Lord, give me a heart of love and compassion. Do you really want that? Yes, I want it with all my heart. Okay. God uses situations like that to mold and shape us. Look at Job. Was he doing anything wrong in his life? No, he was actually the most righteous man in his day. God said, I'll put upon you heavier tribulation than anyone ever. And he faced it and came out strong at the end, didn't he? Tonight we've come here into this place, despite the trial of tribulation that we're in, problem or situation, we've come here to seek the face of God. That's a great thing that we have, family, is hope. We have our King. And um, before I waste any more time, I really uh, want to have a buddy come up and... Uh, <sighs> One of my sweet brothers, uh, yeah, Austin Barnhill. Come on, yeah. Yep. Um, this is my brother, Austin Barnhill. Um, your blood brother? Yeah, uh-huh. In the name of Jesus, in Jesus' blood. Um, and, um, you know, I wanted to bring him up here to share because, hey, he's, he's just come back. I think this is a week and a half back, and he was out training for a while. Doing what, Josh? Well, he's a Marine, and um, he was training uh, to do a lot of sniper cool stuff. Uh, yeah. He, it's see, overrated. Yeah, it's overrated. Uh, he's not going to let me bragging on him, but let me just do it just for a sec. Um, just, just to give you some foundation of who we're talking to here. Um, no, honestly, you know, because uh, I just want you guys to be educated on, on just the things that he's been able to go through and triumph in great areas and we've been praying for him here um, at the study, and uh, I, I give you updates every once in a while on what's going on and the emails that I receive. And uh, he's deployed once already in, um, in Iraq, and he'll be going to Afghanistan here uh, soon, right there at the front lines, man, doing the crazy. So um, I'm just so blessed and proud of, uh, to be you know, a brother of this guy and the reason why, and to have him on the team and a part of the family here. And the reason why is because... Um, you know, he's won despite failures and despite, uh, sin and tribulations in life. He determines to seek the face of the Lord with all of his heart, despite a situation. And Hey, let's just, let's just face it. We all go through hard times, huh? We all go, we all got sin problems. We all got issues in life, but you know what the secret is? This is what you do. When you mess up, you just dust off your knees and you keep running as fast as you can to Christ. Don't stop for like a week. Don't stop for a month or a few days. You just dust them off and you keep running full speed. And that's what I love to see. And that's my secret. I'm, 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 I'm really a messed up kind of guy. And I just said I'm going to keep seeking God with all my heart. That's all I got. 
And so that's what I keep doing. I keep messing up and I keep seeking. And that's who David was. Did you ever notice that? The man after God's heart, big screw up, man. He just killed a man. He stole a man's wife and got her pregnant. Hello, hello, you know, but he sought God with all of his heart. That's what I've really seen in Austin Barnhill. Um, I've been buddies for, how long has it been? Like four years, five years? Since 03. Since 03. Yeah. So, geez, it's been six years or so. Wow. Yeah. Um, and he's seen this study grow, you know, probably since the beginning. He's seen a lot of things happen here. But uh, just getting down to it, um, he's been training. He's, how long have you been in the Marine Corps? Three and a half years. So three and a half years. Justin, can you turn that up for me just a sec more? Get Austin's mic up. Sorry, um, I've been sick, so I'm all messed up. Yeah. He, he just got sick a couple of days ago. We'll pray for healing That's as well. That's why Brian's huh? not here. I got him sick. Yeah. Yeah, Brian's here. Brian went over to visit with Austin. He got sick. But uh, he brought right. me chicken noodle soup. Ah, uh, what a pushover! <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. Just jealous because I didn't do it. <laughs> but um, so Austin's been uh, training, and um, I don't know. Why don't you tell a little bit of the story? I think um, just maybe some of the struggles of being in the Marine Corps. I mean, what you see like every single day. I mean, kind of the the day to day, just heathenistic, just worldly. How hard is it to live a Christian, I think, in the Marine Corps? That's a, well, it's a pretty broad question, but, I mean, obviously, um, I don't know, is anybody else here in the Marine Corps, like, in the service or anything like that? I know one has Oh, you been. were in the service? I know you one served? has been. Oh, one? But, uh, anyways, the sad thing is, is, you know, it's an honor to serve your country, in my opinion, and uh, many other agree with that, but it's sad to see the way that things have gone in our culture and in our society. So, obviously, you get kids that aren't raised with family and parents and like that, and then they join the Marine Corps or any other service, and uh, they're pretty much just running around wild, in my opinion. But uh, the world is glorified big time. I mean, it's like, you know, obviously, the language, um, since I'm in the infantry, only men are allowed in the infantry. And so, what do you think it tells in that? You know, how you treat women, what you enjoy watching, you know, what kind of things you want to listen to. And uh, so when you work with these guys nonstop, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and uh, you deploy with them, you train with them, um, I mean, that's all you see nonstop. And so my conviction, like, he, like Josh is sharing, is, you know, no matter what happens, whether you fail or you, you continue to fall, um, what happens is if you do get up and you continue to seek the face of the Lord. Um, so what, what percentage of, of, of the Marine Corps guys uh, who are in the armed forces would you say would claim to be Christians and actually love it. Maybe at first claim to be Christian. Maybe they're raised in a Christian home or something like that. Mm. What percentage do you think? There's actually a, a ton of them. Like I, I end up talking to like on my last deployment in Iraq. Um, I ran into a lot of guys. Well, kind of ran into them. I guess I worked with them. They'd finally admit to me like, yeah, my dad was a pastor. My uncle was a missionary. You know, I was raised in the church. I joined the Marine Corps to run away from God and all those sorts of stuff. So there's a lot of guys that say that, and then there's guys that say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but yet, you know, they like to do the things of the world, so. So how many guys have you actually found of, well, how many guys do you work with? How many guys in your platoon or uh, your station there? In my platoon specifically, there's only 25 guys. Um, There's probably maybe one. And how many on base? I have three good friends that are Christians. And how many how many guys are on base? Uh, oh, there's total tons, like tons. thousand or a lot. It, well, I'm stationed out of Twenty Nine Palms. I don't know if you guys understand. You know, there's Twenty Nine Palms Marine Corps base. There's Pendleton, and then there's North Carolina, 
or uh, Lejeune. And uh, so out of 29 Palms, there's only infantry battalions and uh, mechanized, which is like tanks and tracks. And so, so of all these guys, you found about three guys yeah. that serve the Lord. Yeah. And, I mean, you you got to understand, look at this. Look at us. Hi. Hi, everybody. Hi, Christians. Hi. Uh, you get to come to a coffee shop and praise God. Um, it's crazy. And um, so in the midst of all this, um, I mean, have you received persecution or did you in the beginning? Yeah, well, what happens is whenever you're new to a unit or, I mean, obviously, if you're, if you're with a group of guys for a while, you get real tight, especially if you do a lot of stuff together. And uh, whenever a new guy shows up, you know, and somebody says, hey, this is how I live my life, then if you don't jive, then obviously they will do everything they can to make you fit into what they do. But as soon as they realize that you stand up for what you believe in, like obviously myself being a Christian, and, uh, you know, I go to church, obviously, I don't listen to secular music, I don't cuss. If you don't cuss around them, then that's like, trust me, you stand out. It's pretty crazy. Um, Isn't that funny? Yeah, or especially if you don't watch porn. Like, if you don't watch porn, they don't even know. They're like, who are you? We don't even understand who you are. They think you're weird or something, yeah, huh? Is it crazy? It's pretty funny, isn't it? So, where was I going with that? Um, yeah, persecution. Yeah. So, obviously, you'll get, I mean, you know, guys talk trash or whatever like that. But to me, I don't care, you know, because if you're going to represent the Lord, then you're going to take heat for it no matter what. So, why would, why would you even care is my opinion. Uh, second of all, what tends to happen is once you stand strong for the Lord and you actually follow him and uh, you minister to guys, because when people are down and out, like as a group, yeah, they may run their mouth and talk trash about you, but all of a sudden late at night when it's you and him and you're doing whatever together, like all of a sudden it's a whole different person. And before you know it, somebody wants prayer or, you know, they finally open up. So I've seen the hardest guys that I've worked with that are, you know, the toughest guys you could, you could call men or whatever, but you know, they end up opening up into sharing some pretty crazy stuff with you. So the my goal and my intent, obviously, is to continue to persevere because even when I don't see the Lord doing the work, something always happens. And the same thing happened when I was in school. So pretty amazing. So, so you got to understand. Okay, so, I mean, under the the biggest pressures in life, think about living with guys who watch porn all day long and just do this, you know, just cussing all day. You know, just, I mean, it, it's like... Guys, put yourself in this situation. How do you stand strong? I mean, how do you stay focused? You know, I mean, come on. I mean, it w- what an intense situation to be in. Any any guy on the face of the earth put in this situation, um, I think if you want to lose your salvation, probably go to, you know, the armed forces. I bet it would be such a difficult thing. Even myself, as Austin tells me the stories, being stationed in another country away from your family, you have freedom to do whatever you want. No one's watching. You know, you go and do whatever. I mean, he could go off into another country and do whatever, and we would never find out. And none of his buddies would ever hate on him. They'd probably be like, yeah, man, come on. This is cool. Good. Thanks, thanks, Barnhill. Thanks for coming out and hanging with us, you know? They'd say finally. Finally, you know? But to make a stand, think about how difficult it is just to make a stand in your own life today right now. Take the next level. I, I just I kind of want to talk about some of the great things that God has done, despite the uh, the things that have been brought up against Austin. I just love seeing one persevere through all of it. Uh, I love seeing the Christian solo, you know, standing there kind of by himself and everybody mocking and laughing and all the rest, and then all of a sudden they're just able to excel above all peoples. It reminds me of Joseph, and um, so I don't, maybe some things, just maybe you'll be able to share just some of the things the Lord's been really gracious to you in and, and, and has given you favor in. Uh, maybe even starting back uh, from the beginning, um, from boot camp, and just like monumental things that you see. Maybe not, 
you know, specific detail, but just like, you know, the Lord raised me up here and really gave me favor here. And, um, yeah, all the way back. <laughs> yep. All right. I'll try to recap three and a half years. <laughs> um, yeah. Three and a half years and two deployments. And then, yeah. Um, actually it's been pretty wild to see what, what God has done. And before I even joined, um, I was going to the study back in the day when Jeremy and Josh taught, I don't know who remembers that. That was a while ago. Uh-huh. And uh, I told him and Jeremy that the Lord was calling me to join the Marine Corps. Yeah, that wasn't good telling him. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, anyways. I, I flipped out. Yeah, he did. Um, what's happened, once I joined, um, you know, going through all the training and stuff like that and learning the ropes and figuring out how everything works. And then um, once I got sent overseas in my first deployment, did that. I was kind of like in a funk, not really knowing what's going on. And then when I got back, I got uh, PCS, or actually I got changed to a different duty. So I got sent to uh, 3rd Battalion, 4th Marines is where I'm at now. And I uh, got put into India Company, 1st Platoon, and those are the guys that I've been with for the last, like, two years. And weren't you, like, uh, were you, like, running a team or something like that? Yeah, well, what happened was uh, I was an older guy, so more mature. And even the older guys that, I mean, trust me, immaturity is crazy. But anyways, um, just through training and me, you know, trying my hardest, obviously, because as Christians we need to, my opinion, obviously, biblically, is you should always be doing everything 100% because it's under the Lord. It's really mm-hmm. not to whoever's Amen. in charge of you. Um, so through doing that, I got raised up and I became a team leader. Um, I don't know if you, that means anything to you guys, but uh, it's somewhat of a big deal in the infantry. I enjoyed the job. Um, well, then right before we deployed, we got some more guys moved to our platoon that were more senior to me. They've been in longer. They've done more deployments. So the totem pole effect comes in. So I got kicked out of that position. So we deployed. About halfway through the deployment, um, the guy that, you know, a couple guys that took over positions weren't doing their job very well. Um, so halfway through, I ended up getting, replacing one other guy and got put in charge and all this stuff. And uh, I started getting recommended for meritoriously promotion, even though I've only been in like a year and a half. And uh, so it was making a lot of people mad because here's the Christian guy, you know, getting jobs that other people want that they think they deserve. Um, so, get back from Iraq, um, one of my buddies tells me, hey, you know, I'd really like for you to come tra- uh, try out for a sniper platoon. Wait, before all this, you got to understand, in, in Iraq, he's doing Bible study out there, you know, oh, leading yeah. the guys and ministering to the brothers uh, there at the base and just trying to live a holy life. I'm talking to him on the phone from time right. to time as he's, like, calling me, trying to get a hold of me. It's just awesome times I hear the adventure and the trial and tribulation that he's going through, but still persevering till the end. Um, again, think about being away from your church or away from your family or away from, you know, just out there by yourself, trying to live and walk with God. One of the most difficult things, but again, the word persevere definitely sticks out. Can't believe I forgot to mention that. Yeah. We ended up, once I got pulled out of the city cause we demilled, we demilled where we were and, uh, we pulled out and we just, we ended up in a, in a bigger base. And so I was actually closer to some of my buddies that are actually Christians and so we started a study, and uh, it ended up being like a Tuesday night thing, a study where it was just like lay leaders. Uh, Wednesday we'd have prayer, and it would be more like guys that actually wanted to seriously pray. And then Thursday was like another time to get together and fellowship and pray. And then um, I think we had Friday the chaplain would leave a Bible study, and that's a completely different story with the chaplain. Um, she knows exactly what I'm talking about. Um, and then on Sundays, we'd have church. So it, it was really incredible to see God do an amazing work. A lot of guys rededicated their lives. Um, 
a lot of guys that re- weren't really sure if they knew if they wanted to seek the Lord or not. You know, it was pretty incre- pretty incredible to see, and then also a lot of time to pray with some brothers, and uh, just really strengthen the fellowship. So it was cool. A lot of a lot of good accountability, and um, one of the guys now actually is just really just on fire. He's down in San Diego doing some great things for the Lord. So it's really cool. Okay, so you come back uh, yep. from Iraq, and then um, well, Trapper you guys are snipers. Yeah. Tried out for the sniper platoon. But you didn't want to. I didn't want to. You didn't want to try out. No. Because I ended up becoming really good friends with some of the guys that I deployed with. And uh, great brothers, you know, but none of them are Christians, obviously. But uh, just really great guys, and I trust them with my life. So that's why I didn't want to leave them. And they also wanted me to stay so that I could be a squad leader. um, Because they said that there's no more leadership, and they they wanted me to stay and and lead them. Um, So I ended up trying out for snipers, ultimately, because it's a... It's a better position to do to have a more effect in combat. I don't know if you guys know, um, but I have a, a lot bigger direct effect in protecting them if I do my job correct. So I ended up trying out for it. Didn't really want to. Um, ended up making it, and then we got sent to another school called. So, so how many guys made it out of the first team though? Um, I don't know. This was just the indoc end of the platoon. Just the first. It's it's oh the, out it's, of my platoon. It's the pre, I was, the I was pre the sniper one. training, right? No, that's before this. Oh, okay. I was the only one out of my platoon that made it, though. So three other guys didn't make it. So your buddies try out, and yeah. and some other friends try out, and Austin doesn't even want to try out, and he's yeah. the only one that makes it. Yeah, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't get it. Okay. So then we go to another school. They send the whole platoon down to the school so we can get spun up on um, what our job is. And out of our whole platoon, myself and one of the guy were the only other ones to graduate the course. Um, and the I think every course, only one or two guys graduate. So it was pretty incredible, and I don't know how I passed. It blows my mind to this day. But uh, seriously, I mean, I don't get it. So it's only the Lord, serious. So then that secures me a position to go to the Scout Sniper School, the basic course, which is one of the most, one of the hardest schools to graduate in the Marine Corps. And um, so they send me out there. I didn't want to go because when you go, you get treated like horrible you get thrashed, pretty much, is what it's called. So, ended up going out to the school, and uh, I'm a big sissy, so every single day, <laughs> I'm serious, man. Every day, I'm just waking up crying to the Lord, like, why am I here? I hate my life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you know, and w- what's incredible is, you know, you're going through this misery with all these other guys, and um, you really start to see what everybody's made of, and that's the whole point of the training is, you know, when you sleep depth, your food depth, which is like no food, no sleep, and all you really get is water, you really start seeing the character of who, who somebody really is. And so uh, through that, you know, a couple weeks into it, started realizing, like, you know, who, you know, what, who somebody was. And uh, it started coming out, obviously, that I'm a Christian because they would, they'd come into my room with my three buddies. And uh, the three buddies that I was with that came from my platoon, you know, real cool guys, everybody likes them. So once they started coming in, being like, you know, who the, who's Barnhill? What the, what's his deal, you know? And uh, so it came out, obviously, that I'm a Christian, so I could share with some guys. And uh, before I knew it, um, there's a couple guys coming up to me, one of them in particular, Laird. He ended up going out one weekend and just doing some pretty ridiculous stuff. And uh, his wife was pretty upset, and if you can only understand what that was. So he came back to me, ended up um, just confessing a lot of stuff and got to pray with them and share a lot of stuff with them. And even to this day, I got a text message from him last night, you know, just asking for prayer and he wants some fellowship and stuff like that, you know, and it's cool because 
you know, when he was talking to me, he's like, man, I want to be like you because you're the real deal. And I'm not saying that because I'm trying to, like, lift myself up, obviously. But when you stand up and you actually represent the Lord and you're not just, you know, wishy-washy or, you know, even if you do stumble, you know, not allowing that sin in your life to keep you down. Because if you've been crucified with Christ, then that that's dead to you and you're alive in Christ. You know what I'm mm-hmm. saying? So there's no reason for you to be captivated by this or, or kept under by the sin. You're free from it. So you no longer have to choose to be in bondage to it. You're no longer in bondage to it. So if you do fall, you can just keep pushing forward, and the Lord's going to be gracious to forgive. So, But you, you must repent, obviously. That's the key. Um, so through this situation, you know, I got to talk to him and pray with him, and now he's a great friend of mine. We got, for the last four weeks of school, I got to pray with him a lot. We got to hang out and fellowship, and it was like the only godly fellowship that I had there after that situation. So it was pretty amazing. And so he leaves out a lot of the great things that uh, he was able to accomplish and do. But um, I think just being humble, so I'll just spill the beans. Um, but you've got to understand, again, just like he said, you know, out of his first group, he's the only one to make it. Out of the second group, only two guys make it. And then out of this final training that he goes through, um, I don't know, what is it, like 30 or 40% of the guys actually graduate? It was uh, 32 started, 15 graduated. So about half actually graduate from the final school. And uh, guess who is the honor grad, you know, above uh, all the guys? Well, you're looking at him right here, you know. Yeah. So God exalts him um, to be able to, again, be Superman in the eyes of all the guys and just say, wow. Um, I mean, as far as being a man and being disciplined and, and being respectful and following the rules, um, I mean, Austin somehow has played it to a T, and uh, God's exalted him in the eyes of the guys. And there's there's other crazy things and situations that are happening even within on his base that he just calls me and tells me about. You know, he just gets special privileges over and yeah. over and over and over and over and over and over and over. That's crazy. Over and over and over yeah. again. You know. Oh well, another thing too, a big thing is. Um, after the, the first school where the, the two of us graduated, um, we went up and did some, some cold weather training. And I actually ended up getting meritoriously promoted up there to the next rank. And uh, so that was just God's favor once again. And what that means is basically his boss just says, you know what, I like you a lot. We're promoting you. And uh, just because of good behavior, what, because of great? Just because you stand, well, what happens is they take the best Marine out of each platoon for the company, and then you go, you compete against each other pretty much. And uh, so that's what went down for that. And uh, the interesting thing was, is when I left my old company, they told me, hey, if you leave and go to Snipers, we're not meritoriously promoting you anymore because they were going to meritoriously promote me for, uh, for my job when, I, when we did on the last deployment. So they told me, hey, we're going to meritoriously promote you. Well, my old boss has left to go be, you know, officer somewhere else. And then the new ones came in, and they're just like, no, we're not going to give you that if you leave. But if you stay, we're going to give it to you. So I left and whatever, you know, but I ended up getting meritoriously promoted by the other company, which is pretty incredible. He's also had the ability to get – he ran into the big dog boss last week somehow. (laughs) God just, like, did some crazy divine appointment. He's been trying to get this paper signed so that he can – he's bought a house off – base which you don't do you're a marine you live on base but somehow he gets favored to buy a house off base and uh 
and gets the paper signed basically by like the president of, you know, like uh, it's not the president, but you know, it's just the big dog on campus where he's at. He runs into yeah. him. It's like no one ever gets to talk to this guy. And of course, Austin Barnhill does um, because he's got his favor upon him. Yeah. And I don't get it. No, you know, I told him, I told him the day that he went out and uh, as we wind this down, um, I told him, uh, I remember even way back when he first started going in, for some reason I felt the word of the Lord was, you are a prophet, you are a prophet to the nation of the armed forces, to the Marine Corps. You only have a short period of time to preach and make a stand for these guys and to shed a light and example. And it's just, and it just feels like it's been the word even to this day. And for some reason, God has exalted him in incredible ways over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why I'm, I really want to point this out is because it feels like a Bible story to me. It's like there's the little Christian boy goes into the army, you know, of the nation of Israel or the nation of some, let's just say Egypt, you know, a heathen nation. And somehow gets exalted above every other guy. And they're giving him all the opportunity. And then he gets to stand up and proclaim his God and preach his name and stand for justice and righteousness. And what can they say to him? He's the top sniper guy. It's like, what are you going to say? It's like, oh, you know, oh, you don't, the yeah, little Christian boy over there in the corner, go and do your thing. It's just like, no, when, hey, when you're the quarterback and you're the Christian, hey, when you're the president of the United States, you're the Christian. When you're the boss and you're the Christian, what can anyone say? It's great to see, and it's exciting to see, and it reminds me of the story of Joseph, who was sold off into slavery by his brothers. Do you remember? Sat in prison for how many years? 20. 20 years. And what ended up happening is he sat in prison. God gave him revelation and dreams and exalted him to second highest in power over all the nation of Egypt, all the nation, all the kingdoms. He was right next to Pharaoh. Isn't that incredible? And so God is doing the same thing. Um, maybe, maybe a quick word of encouragement. I mean, to those, you know, everybody out here is obviously going through different things in life. And I don't know if you're in the exact situation, but maybe just a, a quick word on, you know, what has kept you and kept you focused and um, help you to stand firm. I mean, through all this. Absolutely. You know, if um, the way I see it is if God can use me to, to do what's been going on, I mean, trust me, he could use you guys in tremendous ways. And um, there's a couple of verses that always come to mind, especially when I was going through school. Is uh, Acts 3:19 is a huge one for me, especially over the last couple of years. And it's uh, you know, repent therefore and be converted. That times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. And so I always think about that in my own life when you know I'm training nonstop. You know, training days are like 18 hours, you know, or something like that. Or you know, I finally get a weekend. And whenever I feel just like, you know, super heavy, like things are on my shoulders or whatnot, to, to always be reminded that going before the Lord and, and constantly, you know, having your feet washed in a sense where, you know, you just, you just get, you cleanse your heart and you confess the sin that you've, that you've like collected, I guess you could say, because, you know, we live in this world, we see things that we shouldn't see, we hear things that we shouldn't, we shouldn't hear, and sometimes we say things we shouldn't say, right? So, that's always something that's in the back of my mind is constantly being reminded to to have that mindset of repenting because that's really like the most refreshing times in my life and when I think back about think back in just my you know when I got saved in 2002 the most amazing moment of my life was when I was actually saved and that was when I repented right so that and then also uh 2 Timothy 3:13 I think it is um 
even when we are unfaithful, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Mm. So, and that's a huge one because that came to like light to me in school because right before my buddy Laird came up to me asking for prayer and everything, I almost got to the point where I was just like, man, I am so sick and tired of this, you know, where there's times where I just want to give up. I mean, honest truth, right? And uh, right when those moments come or the breaking point, like the Lord does, does something crazy and it blows my mind. And I just have to go repent again and then, uh, you know, see how faithful he really is. Because mm-hmm. he's faithful to us, you know, and especially with me graduating as an honor grad and uh, just the favor with my higher ups, you know, and all my bosses and everything like that. It's just it's really amazing. And God really does want to do an amazing work in your life. I mean, that's not just something that you should hear and just forget about when you walk out of the door. It's really true. Um, and it really comes down to being obedient, you know, to what God has called you to do. Because if he's called you to do something, then you must be obedient to it because that's where the joy is. That's where the fulfillment's going to be is exactly what God's called you to do. So whether it's, you know, leaving somewhere and doing something crazy, which most likely it's not, or it's remaining faithful and obedient to where you're working or going to school, that's what you need to be doing. And that's where the blessing is, and that's where God's going to use you tremendously. So I would say no matter what goes on, no matter what situation's hitting you, continue to stay at the foot, you know, at the Lord on your knees and just pray and just spend time in the word. And it's, it's no secret, really. I mean, it's really no secret to be a Christian. You know, you just spend time with the King and there's nothing better than you can do than that. Amen. So, amen. Amen. Let's, uh, let's pray and ask a blessing upon Austin and, uh, and thank the Lord for all that he's done. Uh, father, I'm just so thankful for this man and, uh, for my brother and the sweet work that you are doing in his life and, uh, that you've exalted this one, Lord, um, in the eyes of many of the guys there out on that base. And I just pray, God, that, Lord, you would never allow pride nor glory uh, to be taken um, within his own heart and his own mind because you exalt him. Lord, continue to keep him meek, humble, and focused on the things of you. And I pray that you would raise him to levels that he has never been in his life and that no man would ever uh, believe be possible in the short time that he serves in the Marine Corps, but somehow he's just exalted one after another after another to great places. Um, Use it all for your glory, God. I pray that he would be that prophet and that again you would dump the oil upon his head and fill him with your spirit new and afresh, God, to prepare him for Afghanistan, Lord, as he goes, that, Lord, he would be one that is not only precise with his weapon, but, Lord, precise with his sword, Lord, with his his, uh, his Bible, Lord. He's able to minister and cut to the heart of all the enemy that is around spiritually and into the brothers' lives and to make a stand and be a missionary there in that field where there are hundreds of brothers, if not thousands, who need to hear your voice. So please minister to his heart. Give him words. Give him direction. Give him vision. And open him up, Lord, to receive all that you would have for him. I pray you bless my brother. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let's give a hand for what the Lord's done him. Thank you, brother. And, uh, you know, it's, I, I love, I, I just start going nuts, you know, on the phone when he's calling me, he's just like, yeah, this is going on. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I'm just like yelling, going all crazy. And he's just like, you know, kind of laughing it off and just like, oh, Josh, you know, it's done me getting all crazy about it. But you know what? The Lord's doing a great work and I can't help but rejoice and lift up his name and let it be a word for us tonight, family, that we no matter what our situation, no matter where we're at, that we would do all that we can, live lives holy and acceptable unto God. If you work at Stater Brothers for 16 years, like Pastor Ralph Arthur, and you're able to minister to 
tons and tons of people, then let that be your ministry in the name of Jesus and make a difference there. You be a prophet to Stater Brothers. Yep, I worked at Staters, and um, I would pray for everyone who came through the check stand. So I'm bagging their groceries all bummed. I would try to find ways to brighten up my day. And I'd say, you know what, Lord? I'm just going to start praying for people. Bless them, Lord. Save them in Jesus' name. Amen. And the next person would come. Yeah, hey, you got a mission field. you got opportunity. If you're diligent, you'll be exalted. Uh-huh. Yes, you will. Humble thyself in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. Let's go before God and ask him to bless our time. Father, we thank you for the work that you've already done. And we pray as we open your word that great things would happen here tonight in our hearts. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I know it feels like we've done a lot already, but um, we're going to spend time in a chapter here tonight. Even though your ears have heard many words through a microphone already, I would encourage you to gird up your minds and to stay focused somehow uh, through this study. I'll try not to drag it on. There isn't um, much to talk about, a lot of history and a lot of um, information about judgment and what's happening. Little application. But it's actually a chapter of prophecy. Actually a chapter of things that were, yes, uh, told about. Um, just a few years before they actually happened. Well, I guess you say a hundred years before they actually happened. There's a couple different prophecies that happened here. We're in Ezekiel chapter 26. Um, if you have your Bibles, Ezekiel chapter 26. And what we're looking at is a city by the name of Tyre. T-Y-E-R, and a little background on this city. This city was one of the greatest of its time, yes? It was the center point for mobilization as far as trading and buying goods. A great metropolis, like kind of maybe like a New York City or an L.A. County. Um Definitely a place with a lot of high traffic and trading and merchandise and selling, buying goods, all the above happening. It was just like the marketplaces are going nuts there. Ships coming in. It's the, the city is right on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. And um, the city also uh, had an island just about a mile and a half off, um, which wasn't really active until um, the Babylonians tried to come and take over. But this city there on the shore, it was just a trading center, okay? It was just like the center of the universe, you know, a great place of uh, goods, maybe something like on the level of Rome, you know, just the activity that was happening in, uh, in Rome's time, probably something very similar. Lots of people, great economy, um, a lot of money going on there. And so what's happening is, uh, which we know, in the first verse it tells us, it came to pass in the eleventh year and the first day of the month that the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, uh, Son of man, because uh, Tyrus has said against Jerusalem, uh, she is broken, that was the gates of the people, she has turned unto me, I shall be replenished, now she is laid to waste. Okay, so there's some information here in this first verse that, yes, Jerusalem has been captured, has been taken over by who? Babylonians. Babylon. King uh, Nebuchadnezzar has come in and done uh, some of the crazy. He's uh, sneaking in to take over. And, of course, we know this was prophesied about right back in Jeremiah. Remember, we just went through a whole book of prophecy. Remember Jeremiah? The prophet who started when he was young, preached to the nation with authority, yet they did not hear. None repented. None turned to God. After uh, 
42 years of preaching, was it not? Mm-hmm. And not one person turned. But he told them time and time and time again, you better repent or this nation will go down. And I've compared it to preaching to this nation as well. That is, we as a nation do not repent, it will go down. And uh, God is the same God. And he loves to discipline his kids because why? He loves them. He loves those that he disciplines. Just like those of you who have children or will have children, you will discipline your children. Why? Because you love them. And so too with God. Does God love his people? Yeah. Who would be called his people if there was any on the face of the earth today? What nation might be called his people? Um, We know definitely the Jews, but the Jews are in rebellion against God. And if there was any nation that was supposedly turned towards God in this day, who would that be? Maybe America? Maybe. And if we are his people and we're not being obedient, he will discipline his people. And judgment is coming upon the nation. Remember, we read Lamentations, the book of sorrow, the book of misery, a whole letter just written, a whole poem written on just misery and depression and all the things that are happening. Remember, we went through the whole book. Do you remember that? It's a couple weeks ago. Isn't that great? Destruction has come upon. Babylon has come in and snatched things away. And in verse 2, it says that Tyrus is making fun of or has really put down Jerusalem, has said against Jerusalem, ah, she is broken. That was the gates of the people. She is turned unto me. I shall be replenished. Now she is laid to waste. So Tyrus calls out Jerusalem and makes fun of the Jews. Mocks them. This is dangerous, isn't it? Any nation to call out Israel? Dangerous. That's a scary nation to call out. Why? Because God has said clearly in the Old Testament, those who bless Israel will be what? Blessed. But those who curse Israel will be what? Cursed. Interesting. You may say, Josh, that sure is a little mystical. It sure does sound a little like you're stepping into the spiritual realm and saying something that may be a little bit out there. I don't know if I can completely trust that. Well, if you look at history, those nations that rise up against Israel always get crushed somehow. I truly believe with all my heart that if all Israel had was to defend themselves was rocks. If a nation was coming at them with tanks and they were backed up against the Mediterranean Sea. Yes, I lived in Israel uh, for three months and, and I got to see the Mediterranean Sea and, and experience the Jewish culture and all the above. And even though they're in rebellion against God, I believe that somehow, even if they had rocks in their hand backed up against the beaches, as you see tanks rolling in, that somebody would throw them just perfectly and all of a sudden tanks would just explode. Or, you know, it's like the tanks would just malfunction. I remember I was watching the 50-year war. I don't know if you've seen the documentary. It's a non-biased documentary um, done by the BBC or something like that. I can't remember exactly. But as I was watching it, and watching how Jerusalem defended itself, just um, this 50 years, which 50 years are you talking about? Well, since the year they became a nation, May 14th, 1948 is the year that Israel became a nation. And they've been fighting for over 50 years now, but they call it the 50-year war, this documentary. Well, there are the Jews. Check this. crazy. There are the Jews. All of uh, the Arab nations surrounding got all fired up and they're going to attack Israel. Now, Israel didn't know when they were going to attack. 
they just knew it was going to happen. So they're thinking to themselves, we better attack soon. We got to do something. We got to stop this from happening. This is what happens. Crazy. This certain week when the Jews decide to attack all of a sudden, the Arabs change their communication system and it's a brand new communication system. They've changed it and it's like this, I'm just watching this documentary and this is what happened. They decide to change their uh, communication system into something upgrade in some way, shape, or form, but they weren't completely up to date with their communications. They didn't know how to use the system completely. So this is what happens. Israel launches an attack that day that they change their communication system. They, they just take a, a small amount of planes, I don't know, maybe 10 planes or so. They take off and they come down into Egypt, down in the south, and they attack the first base down in Egypt. And the base down in Egypt, because they changed the communication system, can't tell the next base that Israel is attacking. And so all of a sudden, Israel goes from this base to the next base, and they can't tell the next base that they're getting attacked, and, they can, and the next base can't tell the next base. And the, the documentary is just stating the facts. It's like all of a sudden their communication systems were messed up, and they weren't able to tell the other bases that Israel was attacking. So none of the Arab nations knew that Israel was attacking, and Israel goes and snatches all the southern territory and all the territory around them within hours. It's incredible what happens. And I align it with something of the Old Testament where God causes confusion in the enemy's camp. It's true. Why has no one been able to wipe that little nation off the face of the earth? You know how big it is? It's like the size of San Bernardino County. It's so small. Well, I mean, how many nations have attracted Egypt, right? Babel, the Babylon. Assyrians, the Greeks, the Romans, the Germans. Why can't anyone kill that nation? They're such a small nation. What's the deal? It's because God has his hand upon them and no one will ever be able to destroy them. Be careful if, when, when this nation, I didn't say if this nation, America, if we reject Israel, I'll just say when, uh, because the Bible is very clear that Israel will be isolated in the last days. That means all nations will turn their face from him. Who is the only nation that really supports Israel? We are. We're the only nation in the world. Yes, other nations kind of say that they do, but none of them supply them with the things that we do anywhere close to. We are the only nation that truly supports in any way, shape, or form. And I believe that's the only reason why God is still keeping us um, afloat. But it's interesting that we're turning our face from even Israel. And this nation back in that day... Tyrus, they turned their face from Israel and mocked them. Big mistake. Big mistake. Look what happens. Verse 3, because they've done this, therefore, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against thee, O Tyrus, and will cause many nations to come up against thee as the sea causes his waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers, and I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. And this is true. If uh, These are actually prophecies. I actually wrote them all out. Um, oh, I'll just tell them to you instead of reading them. But um, one thing that actually happens to this city, it, it's, it's very appropriate for the prophet to stand up Ezekiel and proclaim, proclaim this to Tyrus. Now, you must understand, the city is very wealthy. Everything's going great. It'd be like if someone walked into New York City and said, hey, New York City, every, all this is going to fall. All this is going to break down. It's all going to be destroyed. I mean, can you imagine the people on the street? It's like, yeah, right. Get out of here. Get out of here, you schmuck. You know, it's like, it's, that's nice. It's nice to tell them, are you serious? <clears throat> all of this is going to be knocked down? 
You think all of our economy is going to fall? You think that there, there's, it's going to be desolate? Look what it says. Look at the specifics it says. It says that uh, he will cause, oh, look at verse 4. They shall destroy the walls of Tyrus, right, and break down her towers. Interesting. I will also scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. It's like I will scrape everything out of the city. Now, you must understand, this is prophecy. Why, Josh? How is this prophecy? This is what actually happened. The, ba- the Babylonians came in and they tried to take over the city. And what had happened in, in Tyrus, remember I said it was on the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. The people jumped in boats and kind of went through the back door um, as the Bab- Babylonians were coming in to take over the city. And they went to this island that was just a mile off the coast. They got in these little boats and went to this island and rebuilt their city there on that island. So the Babylonians couldn't get to them there and take over the city, okay? So this would happen first. But then, check this out. Years later, probably about 300 years later, it's like in 332 AD, Alexander the Great comes in. If you don't know who he is, he wanted to conquer the world, and he basically did. Uh, he took over, I mean, base everything. I mean, he just conquered everywhere that he went. Well, he came into Tyrus uh, about 300, 200, 300 years after this was said, and this is what he did to the city. Listen, it's important. He walked in and he literally scraped every single piece of dust of the city away. Why? Because he wanted to conquer Tyrus. And remember, where are the people? They're on the island about a mile away. So how did he get to that island and conquer that city? This is what he did. He took all the broken down city. Babylon came in. The Babylonians came in and destroyed the city. Remember, they retreated to the island. And the city that they destroyed, there's all this rubbish left everywhere. So what does Alexander the Great do? He takes all the scraps from the city and he throws it into the ocean and creates a land bridge to walk across to get to the island to take over the island and take over the city. So this is an amazing prophecy. And it even gets more clear that there will not be any remains of Tyrus. It it says it here in this text. We'll get to it. But it says that 300 years prior to that this city is going to be obliterated. Who would say that? What if I said that to New York City? You see all these buildings? There will not even be one rock left here. There will not be one building left. There will not be one piece of scrap. It's like, you're crazy. You're crazy. It's not going to happen. You think this thing is just going to be licked up off the ground? That's ridiculous. How could you take all this down? It's the same thing that happened, remember, when Jesus was standing there and he said, you see this temple? This temple will be broken down. Every single rock will be broken off upon another. Remember the people said? took took so many years to build this temple. You think that it's going to be broken down that fast? It's like, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. Jesus said, yes, it will. And what happened there 40 years later after Jesus had said that in 70 AD? What happened? The Romans came in and burnt down the temple, remember? And all the gold seeped into the bottom of the temple. And so just as Jesus had said, it would be like me saying to a brick wall, a giant brick building, you see that every single brick is going to be broken off. You'd be like, that's ridiculous. It ain't going to happen. Every single brick broken off? That's exactly what happened in 70 AD. In order to get to the gold in the bottom of the temple, what did the Romans have to do? Dismantle every single block. Every single one dismantled the whole city, I mean the whole temple. The same is true here. We're going to destroy the entire city of Tyrus, and there will not even be any scraps left to find the place. It will be completely obliterated. So that's what happened. This is a great prophecy. I read one of the commentaries, uh, and they were saying, the chances of this city, of this happening to this city, what? Where the city would be broken down, that a land bridge would be built. We'll see that very specific. 
that a land bridge would be built and that every single bit of the remains of that city never be found again. Like you can't go over there and find any remains of the city. For those things to happen would be like uh, one in 75 million chance. A one in 75 million, I believe that's what it said. That's an incredible uh, prophecy and um, it's one of the greatest in the Bible. I'm sorry I couldn't give it more justice. Um, but I wanted to lay that foundation because once we go through the text, you'll start to see the prophecy come to life as we read. Okay. So look at it. Uh, let's look at uh, verse four. It says, they shall destroy the walls of Tyrus and break down her towers. I will scrape her dust from her and make her like the top of a rock. And this city actually became one that is just that it became a place where the fishermen would come and set their nets on the rocks, um, to dry out their nets. And I don't know if it's still known for that to this day, but it was definitely known for it back in that day. It was a place for fishermen because there was lots of rock. Um, It shall be a place for the spreading of nets. Well, there it is. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea. There's the prophecy. For I have spoken it, saith the Lord God, and it shall become a spoil to the nations. Her daughters, which are in the field, shall be slain by the sword, and they shall know that I am the Lord. Judgment coming upon a nation who has mocked Israel. For thus saith the Lord God, verse 7, Behold, I will bring upon Tyrus Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Did you see that? Very clear, specific. Who, who will come upon Tyrus? The king of Babylon. And who is that? Nebuchadnezzar. And when did that happen? Just, I believe, three years after this prophecy was given. It jumped on that fast. Amazing. A king of kings from the north with horses and with chariots and with horsemen and companies and much people. He shall slay with the sword thy daughters in the field and he shall make a fort against thee and cast a mount against thee and lift up the buckler against thee. Verse 9, and he shall, and he shall set engines of war against thy walls with his axes and he shall break down the towers. By reason of the abundance of his horses, their dust shall cover thee. Thy walls shall shake at the noise of the horsemen, of the wheels, and of the chariots. And when he shall enter into the gates, as men enter into the city wherein is made a breach, with the hooves of his horses shall he tread down all thy streets. He shall slay thy people by the sword, and thy strong garrisons shall go down to the ground. And they shall make a spoil of thy riches, and make a prey of thy merchandise. And they shall break down the walls, and destroy thy pleasant houses. And they shall lay thy stones, and thy timber, and thy dust in the midst of the what? Water. You see that verse 12? They will take all of the goods of the city, and do what? Lay it in where? The water, yes. What did Alexander the Great do? He took all of those things, and he threw it in the water to make a bridge, so that he could walk across and conquer the city. Amazing! I love the Bible. You know how many times the Bible prophesies? They say 2,000 times, the scholars. And they say about 1,500 times have already come true. Now, from little prophecies to big ones like this, maybe you say, man, that's ridiculous. I don't believe that. Well, let me ask you this question. What if the Bible only told the future 100 times? Let's just take not, not 1,500, just 100. That's more than any book on the face of the earth. There's no book that comes close to that. Nostradamus tried to tell the future, didn't he? He didn't come anywhere close to even a hundred times. To tell the future is impossible. Jesus Christ fulfilling prophecy, you should look into those calculations. 
I think the probability of him just fulfilling eight prophecies is like doing this. Just filling eight, and he fulfilled over 50 or 60, something like this. For him to just fulfill eight of these telling of the future and him walking in these footsteps would be like me taking a coin and filling all of Texas two feet deep full of coins, marking one coin, throwing it out, mixing it up, and saying, go and find that. And if you can find that, it's the same probability of Jesus Christ just fulfilling eight of the prophecies that he fulfilled. And he fulfilled over, I think it's 48, 50, something like this. That's incredible. What are the chances of a book telling the future a hundred times? The Book of Mormon does not do that? Nope. The writings of Hare Krishna or Buddha does not do that? No. The Quran does not do that. There's no book on the face of the earth that comes close to this one. And I thank God for it. We have the word of God here in our hands. Look at verse 13. I will cause the noise of thy songs to cease, and the sound of thy harp shall be no more heard. The city was also a place of great music, Tyrus. Great musicians. Can you imagine just festivals and all that happening week after week? Just like New York City, the performers and all the people out there doing their thing. It's like all this is going to be gone, every single bit of it, and it's all going to be thrown into the ocean. It's like, no, 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 we don't believe that. Yep, it happened 200 years later, 332 AD. It says, and I will make thee like the top of a rock, it says again, and thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon, thou shalt be built no more. For I, the Lord, have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Look at verse 15. Thus saith the Lord God of Tyrus, Shall not the isles shake at the sound of thy fall? When the wounded cry and the slaughter is made in the midst of thee, then all the princes of the sea shall come down from their thrones and lay away their robes and put off their uh, broided garments. And they shall close themselves with trembling. They shall sit upon the ground and shall tremble at every moment and be astonished at thee. This is when, speaking about the princes or the kings or the greats of that time, they will look at the city, Tyrus, this great city like New York City, and be in awe. Can you imagine if, our whole, if, if the whole city fell? If New York City fell, all the greats of the world, the rich men would just look, probably throw off their robes and sit there in astonishment and say, wow, billionaires, gone. All this money, gone. Everything just taken out, gone. You know, if an earthquake happened and all those buildings fell, gone. What insurance company is going to bail that out? You see, so many times we hold on to our possessions and we hold on to our things very tightly. Listen, family, this is important application. This is not your home. This is not the place that you should be storing up for yourself treasure. Don't store up for yourself treasure here on earth where moth and rust eat away. And where thieves break in and steal? No. Jesus says, store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Where, hey, moss, moths and rust will never eat away. Where thieves can never break in and steal. He says, because, hey, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And if you invest your treasure here on this earth, your heart will be here on this earth. 
If you invest your treasure in heaven, your heart will go there. Reminded of a story of a man, some missionaries, who had given up their whole lives to go and minister in another country. And they gave their entire lives. They saw lots of people come to know Jesus. They'd been ministering out there. And the husband was hoping you know, that there would be people waiting for him when he got home because hey, he'd been gone for so long ministering, doing great things for the Lord. And so sure, when he walked off the plane, maybe lots of people just waiting for him as they've been hearing great stories about the things going on in the other country. But what had happened is when he showed up back home on his plane, he was there with his wife. They were coming home after serving for I don't remember how many years. But their whole lives, they had come back, an old man there, he had given up his life for the kingdom. And he had been on the plane with someone who was famous. And he said that when he got off the plane, there there were crowds cheering, yes, for someone who was famous and all the above, and they were very excited to see them home. And when he had walked out of the plane, everyone had left and there was no one there to greet him or welcome him home or thank him. He says, man, when I got home, I thought everybody would be here to welcome us, he says to his wife. And his wife looks to him and says, that's because we're not home. And it's the truth. This is not the place where you receive praise, family. It is in heaven. For that is where your treasure should be. Hey, when you get focused on the things of this life, when you lose it, you get bummed out, huh? Hey, if you're so focused on your house and it burns down, you get bummed. Hey, if you lose your car... If the things that you have are taken away from you, it's very easy to get caught up and overtaken in worry and wonder. But hey, if your treasure is not here on earth, when those things are taken away, when things are broken into or steal, it's, just, it's, it's okay. And I like thinking that way. I really got to see that in my dad when we lost our house and our car and we were homeless. We lived in a hotel. It was crazy, yeah. For a couple of weeks there, it was like three weeks, maybe a month, I remember. And that was that was it. I've been on my own ever since then. Went and stayed with a buddy. My brothers, my youngest brother moved out to Nevada. And then my middle brother moved out to San Diego. We haven't been a family together since then. But it really, my eyes were open there in that instant. What, to be honest, it's like if I lose another house in life, that's okay. Because God will bring another one. And if I lose everything, I mean, I got nice stuff. You know, God's really blessed me. But it's like, it, it doesn't have to be that big of a deal. Don't work hard to store it for yourself treasure here on this earth. Because it will all be destroyed. It will all be taken away one day. Have you ever seen a U-Haul truck strapped to the back of a hearse? Not me. Because you're not taking anything with you. Look, you can't take anything with you, but you can send a lot of stuff ahead. And so the money that you have now, know this. When you spend it on you here on this earth, you get nothing for it in heaven. But the more that you give unto the Lord and the more that you bless and the more that you use to glorify his kingdom, the more you will have one day. So don't be like the princes here in this day who invested all of their time and money and efforts into Tyrus. And when the thing was destroyed and messed up, they were bummed. I think a preacher was speaking on Sunday morning about how somebody had went from like $40 billion to like $4 billion and he ended up killing himself or, or, or something crazy. He was completely miserable because 
he lost, you know, 36 billion or whatever it was. He still had, he, he only had 4 billion left. You know how much a billion is? It's a thousand million dollars. You know how much 1 million is? <laughs> That's a thousand thousand dollars. How many of you even have a thousand dollars in your bank account? A thousand of those. That's a million. And then a thousand millions is a billion. And he had four of those. And that's not enough. Sad, huh? Don't store it for yourself treasure here on earth. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Verse 17. And they shall take up a lamentation for thee and say to thee, How art thou destroyed? That was inhabitant of Sepharing men, the Rion city, which was strong in the sea. She and her inhabitants, which caused their terror to be on all that haunted, haunted it. Now shall the isles tremble in the day of thy fall. Yea, the isles that are in the sea shall be troubled at thy departure. For thus saith the Lord God, when I shall make thee a desolate city like the cities that are not inhabited, when I shall bring up the deep from thee, and great waters shall cover thee, when I shall bring thee down with them that descend into the pit, with the people of old time, and shall set thee in low parts of the earth, in the place desolate of old, with them that go down to the pit, that thou be not inhabited, and I shall set glory in the land of the living. I will make thee a terror or rephrase terrors terror will be upon you and thou shalt be no more thou though be sought for yet shall thou never be found again saith the lord did you see that that last phrase people will look for you new york city but you will never be found again ever the city tyrus says many will come from far lands to find you but you will never be found ever again. Why? Why was everything snatched from them? Why was the city destroyed? Do you remember all the way back to the beginning of the chapter? Because they mocked Israel. Because they laughed at their God. And that brings me to my final point. Family, this is important. Do not miss this. Do you know what kind of nation we are right now? we are probably in the most scary state that we could be as a nation, even worse off than those who are heathens, even those nations that completely reject God, communist nations or atheists. They don't want to have anything to do with God. This is why. Because it is worse to be one who claims to be a Christian yet does not live it than to be one who says, I am not a Christian at all. Do you know that? The lukewarm Christian is the most dangerous place to be. And this is why. Because you actually convince yourself that you are a Christian. You actually think that you are a Christian because you go to church. You think you're a Christian because you were raised in a Christian home. You think you're a Christian because you've read the Bible a little bit, because you've prayed before. You know the devil knows the Bible? Do you know that the devil talks to God? Do you know that the devil confesses Jesus as Lord? He is the master. The enemy has to obey him. That doesn't mean much. 
But to follow after his commandments and to live a holy life set apart, this is much. And I'm telling you tonight that we in a nation, as a nation can be in the most scary place. The reason why is we claim to be a Christian nation, yet we do not live anywhere close to what it means to be a Christian. You know what it means to be a Christian? This is it. It's to say to God, I give you my entire life. You can do with me what you please. You are my Lord, Master, and God. My goals and desires are not my own anymore, but yours. I want what you want for my life. I want nothing else. That is what it means to be a Christian, to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. You know what a lot of people think being a Christian is? Let me give the definition. You go to church. doesn't make you Christian. You saying that you're Christian doesn't make you Christian. Because God does not care about the outward appearance. Do you remember the Pharisees who had raised their hand and lifted them in prayer? Jesus says, you lift your hands, yet your heart is far from God. You don't even know him. That shows that you could even come into a worship service, lift your hands to God, and not even be a follower of Jesus Christ. It's sad. But the reason why I bring this up is this. When a nation turns their face from God, listen, I'm not talking about a nation who has already turned from God. I'm talking about a nation who claims to be one that seeks God and then starts turning their face from God. This is the most dangerous thing that we could ever do. And who does God hold accountable for this? Not the non-believer. He says, judgment starts in the house of the Lord. He says, if my people would turn from their ways, seek my face, humble themselves, I would heal their land. So it sounds like God is holding us accountable. And so I'm telling you as plain as I can say it, that if we as a nation, if we turn from God, if you Christians do not Turn your face towards God and start seeking it with all your heart. We, Tyrus, will fall. We will lose all that we have. Our economy will fall even more. And you will see those towers fall. And I don't know what it takes. Will it be an invasion from another country? That would never happen. We have the greatest army in the world. What was Tyrus? Very rich and wealthy city. We have more money than anybody. Really, not anymore. We've got to open our lives. And as clear as I can say it, every single one here in this room has to come to a point where you say, God, every moment for the rest of my life, I know I don't live here for that long, but every moment I want to give to you and I want to live for you. Where you give your life over to him. You know what that means? Like how does that work in a normal day? That means you wake up serving God. It means when you go to work, you're serving God, yeah. That means when you're going out to eat with your friend, you're serving God there too. It means when you're at the gym, like me last night, I got to talk to Imran Syed, one of my good buddies from high school, and share Jesus with him, amen. Yes! He's a Muslim. Great opportunities everywhere around us. That means when you buy coffee. That means when you're walking into Desario's getting ready to have some pizza. And the boy outside, you know, is asking for some money to buy a candy bar. You say, man, I don't, 
All I got is a buck, another $2. So let me just give you a dollar in the name of Jesus. What's your name? Isaiah. Oh, your name's Isaiah. You know, that's in the Bible, right, man? Maybe God has called you to be a prophet. You should go read that book in the name of Jesus. You look for opportunities to further the kingdom everywhere that you go. That's what a Christian is. It's living for God all the days of your life. Can you be the Christian in the Marine, in the Marine Corps? Yeah, uh-huh, absolutely. No, no, you're a Marine. You can't do that. No, you're a Christian. Well, well, no, I'm a Marine. You know, I, no, you're a Christian. Are you a plumber? No, you're a Christian. Are you a lawyer? Nope, you're a Christian. That is what comes first in our lives. Amen? We've got to be a nation that turns to God. It's got to start in our generation now tonight. And then we will raise our kids in the ways of the Lord and we will see an army raised up of those who love God and seek his face. Amen? Come on, family. We've got to do it. Honestly, yeah. Thank you. Praise God. We've got to change. And so let's go before our king and bless him. Lord, we love you. We do, Lord. You say, Josh, if you love me, obey my commands. Oh, Father, I desire to obey your commands. Your commands are sweeter than honey. Your statutes are more precious than rubies. And we, your people, desire to obey you. You are our Lord. How can we call you Lord if we do not obey you? How can we call you Master if we do not live as slaves to you? Please, God, change our hearts. Make us new. I pray for this group tonight, Lord, that we would recognize the destruction that has come upon that nation of Tyrus because they reject your truths, because they mock your people. And Lord, we mock you when we do not live according to your ways. We mock you when we see the way things are supposed to be, yet we live contrary. And so I pray that God, this group would see the sin within their own lives even in this moment. And they would repent before destruction comes within their own lives. Lord, let not our houses have to be taken away from us. Lord, let us not have to lose our job or go through a hard time in order for our eyes to be open. Let not the bottom have to fall out of our lives and all of the towers and all of our city and everything be thrown into the ocean before our eyes are open to the things of you. Please, God, open our eyes tonight. I pray for every single person in here that you would bless them, Lord, and they would repent of their sin and turn to you with all of their heart tonight. Please speak clearly to them, Holy Spirit, please. The time is short. I know we will be with you soon. And so please, let us bless you with every moment we have. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Amen.